bad about my boss Take a break from work today's no total loss Welcome, welcome, welcome to this winter is over and maybe summer's here already edition of the South Dakota Game Fishing Parks podcast and blast. I am your host, Chris Hull. Spring is here, we hope, we think. We already had 90 degrees here in Pier. Um, so we went from a blizzard one week to 90 degrees, and it's only in South Dakota. Uh, but that's maybe why we love it. I'm not sure. But uh, spring is here, get out. You know, turkey season's going, and it might be hard in a few places to get around, but the snow is disappearing, and there's turkeys out there. Um, there's open water. Uh, fishing on the river is, is doing pretty well here in Pier and in Chamberlain it's opening up and getting more and more access. I'm getting reports almost on the hour now of lakes and open water. Um, so get out and enjoy spring. Our last podcast, we had pretty much all our fisheries managers from across the state. I had a ton of fun with that group and, and did them all in one shot. So I hope you got a chance to listen to that and like that. But we were missing one, and it was the southeast portion of the state, a guy by the name of Dave Lucchese. Dave is uh, super smart, dry sense of humor. Um, and so we sat down and talked. Uh, Nick Harrington and I sat him down yesterday and talked, you know, what's the state of the fisheries in that southeast? We were going going into the season, we were pretty dry, and we got a bunch of snow, and, and it was a long winter. So... We talked winter kill, we talked stocking, we talked spawning fish, we talked bait shortages, which is something I'm hearing constantly in the last couple weeks. Sat down and had a great conversation with Dave, so uh, take a listen. Hope you like it. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this winter is finally over, with the question mark, <laughs> episode of the South Dakota Game Fisher Parks podcast and blast. I am communication specialist Chris Hull, and sitting to my left and your right on the radio dial is... Nick I don't know if you've got if you've got like uh, minions or like a fan club or whatever, but it seems like whenever you're on, like our our, uh, our listens are are doubled. So I think you're either paying people to listen or or you've got like this cult following somewhere that I don't know about. He doesn't know what he's talking about, folks. Please <laughs> right. go about your daily business. <laughs> But uh, our main guest is uh, Southeast. Is are you regional fisheries manager? Is that your title, Dave? Uh, I think they call us area fisheries supervisors now. Sure. Oh, okay. Area fisheries supervisor Dave Lucchese, uh representing the southeastern part of the state. Uh, Dave was one of our guys that we had on last year that had you know um, probably some of the most popular uh, episodes that we did. So we thought we would do it again. I also called Dave out because he wasn't at the round table because he was trying to get home to his lovely family just in case it's hard. And so, but thanks for being here, Dave. I appreciate it. Uh, Dave, you were just talking offline and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna um, 
really put the screws to you and, and tell have every have you tell everybody where you're at. But you were out ice fishing, and uh, you know late ice is always good. What were the conditions like, kind of in your area of that ice? Is it fading fast? I know you're out a couple of days in a row. Is it going fast? Um, you know, up in the northern area of our region, Kingsbury, Brookings County, uh, the ice is still pretty good, better than we thought it was going to be. I was out on Whitewood, and um, there was slush. We were going to keep it a secret. <laughs> There was slush on top of the ice, but there was still, you know, 15 inches of pretty good ice. Uh, however, Sioux Falls here today, uh, it's 80-some degrees. I'm sure that ice is going to honeycomb really quickly. Uh, I'm sure the shorelines are going to melt, and it's going to be tough to get on the ice. I did hear of a, a, a four-wheeler going through on Whitewood over the weekend uh, along the shore there, and they were able to pull it out. Uh but, uh, but yeah, I think as of last weekend, you could still walk out. There was still good ice in the northern tier of our, of our southeast counties. But, uh, but I, I think after the next two days, it's, it's going to be pretty iffy, and I probably wouldn't even try, uh, wouldn't advise travel by foot. Yeah, and, and, you know, I was up in that northeast, far northeast, Roberts County, and, and you've got family there, too. And, you know, I didn't see many people out fishing, but that's just because it's been so tough to get around. I did talk to a few guys that were, you know, on on snowmobiles, and they said it was it was hard to get around on snowmobiles already because there was so much slush and even water underneath snow, like running water on top of the ice underneath the snow. So I think she's going to get sketchy in a hurry. And, and you know, Dave, just this is something that I kind of always worry about this time of year. It's not exactly the getting on this time of year. It's the getting off. I mean, I'd rather not be able to get on the water, like, say, November, right. December, as opposed to fish all day. God knows I lose track of time when I'm out there. Right. And then all of a sudden, it's 4 o'clock. I was in 60 degrees, and where I got on might not be uh, might not be good anymore. So, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing I always caution people and thing I always want to bring back up is this the morning when it was 25 degrees, not too bad. Getting right. off after a 70 degree day, a eh, little bit, little bit more iffy. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely the case. And and you know that when the bucket you're sitting on on starts to sink and water starts coming out of the hole, it's time to leave. So, <laughs> have you have you heard uh, you know any open water and like maybe in some of your southernmost counties, some of those lakes kind of opening up? I've heard bits and pieces, but nothing really confirmed. Yeah, I, I talked to uh, Nate Locker, one of our resource biologists, and he lives in Yankton, and he was pretty confident um, that uh, I think Lake Yankton, uh, Marindal, possibly, or Menno, uh, and, and some of those southernmost lakes, I think Swan Lake is is at least close to ice off, and, uh, and so... Um, the lakes along the I-90 corridor still have ice on them. I, I don't even think they're walkable, and I think they could lose their ice in the wind the next couple of days. But, sure. but, uh, but yeah, our southernmost lakes down in that Yankton area, it's ice off. Sure. Um, Dave, let's just, before we jump into some of the more, maybe the 500-pound gorilla in the room with, with the winter and stuff, why don't you give the folks that are listening, like some of the, you're probably the most well-known or popular fisheries that you and your crew are are kind of 
in charge of or maintain and watch? You know, uh, Lake Thompson's obviously tops the list. Uh, it, it was just a dynamite fishery in, in 2022. Um, the crappie fishing through the ice was excellent. Uh, I, I heard reports of hundreds to to a thousand plus vehicles on the ice this winter on popular weekends. Um, you know, I would assume that that fishing would continue, even though they may have put a dent in in some of those some of those fish but i i would anticipate a, a really good spring fishery um i would say whitewood which typically isn't very good in the summertime uh it slows way up in the summer better ice fishery but it was reasonably good last summer and i heard good reports last fall and uh it seems like there's a lot of fish and they might be hungry so 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 that definitely might be one to try this spring um other lakes, uh, uh, the 81 lakes right south of Arlington there, they're, they're definitely a good prospect. Uh, there were some nice walleyes caught off of both East and West 81 Lake uh, this this winter. And so, um, you know, the Madison lakes have been kind of quiet, even though I've seen them quiet in the wintertime and then, and then really pick up in the spring. You know, you get a good walleye bite, uh, you get some crappies biting. Uh, Brant Lake's a pretty good bluegill lake, and Madison also has bluegills. So, so um, you know, up in that part of the region, um, we're going to have to assess uh, the 500-pound gorilla winter kill uh, further to the south. That might be more prevalent. Dave, another thing I can't think about, you talked about anglers putting a dent in the population. I mean, with do we know, I mean, how much, when we say a dent, is that 5%, is that 50%? I mean, I, I, that's something I hear a lot about. You see all these boats, the boats, trailers, whatever it is in the summer or fall. I mean, what is the angler harvest of these fish, and, and what is the number before we truly impact the population? You know, um, I don't, I think that 30% exploitation or if they take 30 percent of the catchable population that's actually an acceptable number um you know when you start getting above that 40 to 50 percent um they're cropping down those those fish but but in south dakota anglers are pretty fickle and when the fishing gets slow they leave and they go somewhere else they're mobile and and so and so they they don't ever really destroy a population they don't impair a population you know people worry well it'll never come back they they crop down that fishery and when when things get a little more spacious in that lake then something else will take over whether it be another year class or another bunch of walleyes produced or or crappies or perch or whatever uh uh they fill that void and so and so you know we 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 aren't scared that that our lakes are going to be depleted to the point where they can't recover. And and Dave, you mentioned that thirty percent. I mean, angler harvest is is a good thing because that's going to help those growth rates, right? I mean, that's what we need to have stable populations. Exactly. You know, we've we've got a bunch of case histories of when anglers couldn't harvest walleyes. Um, and you look at all those lakes uh, more recently, Lake Ponset or. Mm -hmm. uh, Wabay and and back in the early 2000s the Madison Lakes and 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 when you get a lot of fish produced in one year they can actually eat everything up in the lake 
their growth stalls out entirely, uh, they don't ever reach that size limit, or if they do, they creep over and they're instantly harvested. And um, and uh, so we get starvation mortality. And so and so some harvest, even at smaller sizes, down to 13 inches, you know, some people harvest them down to 12, uh, is not a bad thing. And the remaining fish grow, the remaining fish have enough food, so they're less catchable, a little harder to catch because they're well-fed. And so... So we found that that is definitely a good thing. You know, it is funny you brought up Thompson and 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 I've got some friends and some people that you know too that were at Thompson quite a bit catching crappies, even spearing crappies. And and it was five years ago where you know I was going sneaking out in the evenings at the state fair and going and with some of my buddies from Huron and going and catching giant perch out of Thompson. So to see that, like, you know, that brings in the year, year effect that, you know, yeah, the perch, perch fishing was on fire and they beat those down a little bit while the crappies come right in behind and fill that void, right? And you see it, especially on these smaller lakes, whether it's even like, you know, get closer to, to pier and it's, it's bracky, like right along the interstate, you know, it's those, those, all oh, the bluegills are getting really nice. And then all of a sudden they get beat up and then it's like, oh, now the crappies are filling in and oh, now the perch are filling in behind them and, and, it's interesting, but I don't think a lot of people take in the fact of actual angler harvest causes that or, or at least certainly assists that. Yeah, you know, I think I think people can see terrestrial animals. They they realize that those animals die often not due to to being you know harvested by hunters and stuff like that. Right. Um. You know what is it? Ninety plus percent of the doves die every year, and 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 a lot of that is due to natural causes. Well, the same thing happens in the fish world. Uh, you just don't see it because it's under the water. But right. but honestly, um, our perch and our crappies in in these natural lakes grow super fast much faster than they do most places and that 12 inch perch um, might only be four four years old but on its fifth birthday sometimes whether you catch it or not right. it's like a salmon it tips over right. Right. we don't see six seven eight year old perch in our fast growing populations where we do see them is in our really slow-growing populations, where they might not ever get above eight inches long, and and those fish, those fish grow slow, live a long life, and uh, and so, and so, when an angler throws a fish back, it that angler naturally assumes that it will be there for somebody else to catch, and and that really isn't always the case. I mean, we don't. We don't say harvest everything, especially with longer-lived fish like walleyes. But, but harvest is not a bad thing. Sure, and that's and I mean, Dave, to piggyback off that point, that's kind of why we see those hot hot bites come and go, right? I mean, that's why you might have a great perch fishery on on one slough. Maybe Whitewood's awesome one year. Folks take advantage of it, and then bang um, down the road, it's Thompson or it's up in Northeast. I mean, you could name case after case. But it's just because of the dynamics of those populations, and it's just this year's this year class's lakes turn, right, Dave? Yeah, and and in some years, uh, like this winter, on some of our lakes, more marginal, shallow ones, Mother Nature is going to take them all. So, right. uh, so you know, harvest of those fish prior to an event like what we might see this year is a is a definitely a positive thing. 
Sure. So let's let's just jump into it then. We're talking about winter kill and and before you know on been a long winter and before we started recording the podcast i was talking to dave i have a friend who's got a place down um on swan lake and he said yeah we're starting to see you know some dead fish in the i think the outlet that runs out or in and he said in fact you could even you know in february you drill some holes and you could smell them um what are you and your crews doing do you go out and and you know during the winter are you testing oxygen levels to try to get a good idea um of of winter kill and and or are you just relying on being out there now this time of year or are you taking um you know the public's reports how does that kind of stuff work Dave? you know we used to monitor oxygen more closely and then we and uh you know even minnesota we found that there wasn't a really good relationship between RDO measurements and and the probability of a kill the following spring. I mean, obviously, if you measured low DO repeatedly, the chances went up. But we would sometimes see really low DOs and the ice would go off and there'd be a few dead fish and you'd set nets and the population was well intact. Um, and so, you know, we really stopped monitoring it. However, this year with, with as severe as the winter was, the amount of snow and stuff, uh, we anticipated questions, and so we did go out and on 14 different lakes um, took a, an, a single DO reading, basically. And on some of our more shallow lakes, uh, you know, um, around Sioux Falls, Lost Lake, George Lake, uh, uh, some of a few others, and then uh, the lakes right around Huron, uh, Byron, Cavour, uh, Ravine, uh, we saw DOs under two, often close to one, and that was back in late January. Lake Albert was another one that didn't look very good. Uh, um, and then on other lakes, Madison and, and for some reason, Whitewood, that's shallow, and, and Henry on northwest of, uh, of uh, Lake Thompson, we had good DO readings. And obviously, any lake where the fish are biting right up until the ice goes off, you're, you're pretty confident that... Uh, that those fish are gonna gonna be in good shape, um, you know. Swan Lake obviously killed Family Park Pond right outside us, you know, right on the edge of Sioux Falls. Uh, there's a significant kill there. Our our protocol is is to go into these lakes, set test nets, see what's left, and, and then we we restock accordingly. Uh, and and sometimes those stockings do the best of any because. Once again, you got a big void there. A lot of the non-game fish are 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 gone, and mm -hmm. and and, uh, and you know, and and predator species and stuff like that. And wow, you know, your 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 walleye stocking really takes off. Sure. So, so Dave, I'm glad you bring that up. And you know, as much as we don't want to see dead fish, you know, kind of restarting, hitting that reset button, especially on some of these lakes that have really rough fish populations. I mean, that's that's a good thing, at least to me. I mean, what are those growth rates in a winter kill lake? I mean, when we put when we put those fry in, I assume we're putting those in. What what kind of sizes will they be? You know, this summer or next year? What what do those growth rates look like? Yeah, you know, um, they're, they're good. They typically are at the top end of the range. Uh, if you put a walleye, a pinhead size walleye fry in in, in, in early to mid-May, 
Um, typically by the end of the year, by fall, they're, they're six to eight inches long. And often in three years, um, they're catchable. They're 14, 15, sometimes even 16 plus inches long. And I think the, the biggest thing is that you tend to see greater numbers survive. You tend to see some of your bigger year classes produced after a winter kill. Uh, the other thing we do is we'll stock pre-spawn perch and, 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 uh, especially if that water's come up, you know, they, they do their spawning thing and, and those little perch come off in the absence of abundant predators and they do really well. And, and so we, we get some really good perch fisheries. There are times when we get a partial kill and, uh, and the carp and bullheads, uh, get the jump on us and, and things don't work out as well as we'd like, but Honestly, on our shallow prairie lakes that dot southeastern South Dakota, this is just a, it's been a fact of life forever. And, and periodically, lakes kill, and it's not definitely not the end of the world. Right. I think that's, you know, that's the big thing. And, and I've been on, you know, I've had cabins and stuff on lakes that have, have killed, and people are just, you know, the sky is falling, and I don't even know why I have my cabin out here. And, and you know, there's a lot of grousing, and you know, it's going to be ten years before the fishing's good, and then they see that boom, and it and it almost always happens. You know, that three years, it's like holy smokes, this fishing's unbelievable again, and they must have ran in from another lake, and it's kind of like no, that's you know, there's some some stocking and stuff going on. When when we do know, or we're pretty sure, like we're going to have winter kills like this this winter. Dave, do you guys take that into account with your like egg collection for walleyes or your, you know, your trap and transfer and some of that other stuff? And then are you a little bit more aggressive with those lakes? Do they yeah, get they, more? They definitely, um, they definitely are pushed to the top of the list. Um, we set up contingency stockings for any lake that's really had a history of winter kill or or uh, you know where we measured low dissolved oxygen, um, or, or is just one of those lakes that that has a tendency to kill, and so sure. and so so those are already into our stocking plan. Um, obviously, this spring with everything that's everything's going to be protracted, so so our ability to trap and transfer before the walleye spawn might be might be limited. My right. guess is is when the ice goes off. We will be sending eggs to the hatchery in this region, and uh, and so, but but then after that, we'll go back in and 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 we find ways to get fish into all of those lakes. Sure. So now, Dave, one thing I'm I'm kind of thinking about here, and I, I have a ton of questions, so I'm trying to decide which one I'm going to take first. But I mean, we talked about those partial kills, and you said sometimes bullhead carp that doesn't work out, but I mean. The, the fluctuations of high water to low water, like we had the summer fall going into this, and now likely we're going to have high water again. I mean, that's a good thing, right? That natural flow of down, let vegetation on the shorelines grow. I mean, how many fish do we need in the in the system to really survive, to have them kind of do their own thing is kind of what I'm asking. Yeah, I think I think if they've shown repeatedly that if conditions are right and, and rising rising water, late springs, uh, a continual steady warm-up all lead to really good production of northern pike, uh, perch, walleye. 
And, and if conditions are right, you don't need a lot of fish um, to produce really big bunches of young offspring. And, and so, and so, uh, you know, and I, I think this looks to be one of those springs, especially in our region where the water was so low and we won't know till, till this fall or even when, till next year when we do our lake survey, what's been produced. But, but we really did need the water in this region. It was a catch 22. Yeah, we, we killed fish over the winter, but, but if we didn't get that snow, didn't get that runoff, we were going to be in trouble this summer. Right. So. right. Right. And, and I saw that, I think you and I have had this talk that, you know, we saw that even in the grasslands, like this last spring, I was down on some of my haunts in the grasslands, those little ponds. I'm like, God, these fish aren't going to make it. You know, it's May and these dams are in tough shape and trying to, you know, call out the troops and do we need to move some fish? And so they did start moving some fish and by God, they got two big gully washers back to back in July. And I went out there in August and the dang thing that the spillways were running. You know, so they, I mean, they can bounce back in a hurry, but yeah, I mean, I would say a lot of those, those lakes, if we didn't have a, you know, a good winter with a lot of snow and stuff, they weren't going to make it because you were in tough shape on some of those, right? I we mean, really low, low. were. Yeah. Water levels in Southeastern South Dakota were as low as I've seen them in the 30 years that I've been down in, in this area. I mean, we had, we had sloughs that were dry that that even the farmers said, well, we haven't seen them dry since the late 70s when things were so tough. Right. Uh, and, and our lake levels on on some of our lakes were, you know, a lot of mud shoreline and and depths that things were coming out of the water that we hadn't seen in many years. Right. So, Dan, we, we pointed the finger at winter here, but I mean, Summer kills very much a reality too. I mean, if we didn't have this type of winter scenario, we would be looking at these summer kill conditions, right? Yeah, and even even on a even on a a normal hot year when water levels are pretty good, um, we get summer kills, and and all it takes is a a couple of calm hot nights, uh, a pretty good bloom of algae, and and still conditions. And that algae, when it respirates overnight, will, will knock out the oxygen on a portion of the lake. And, and, and that's just another, another situation where fish die. That's where some of our natural mortality comes in. And, and, and it's just part of a, a productive Southeast South Dakota system. It grows the fish fast. It produces a lot of fish, but it takes, it takes a chunk of them too. Sure. I think uh, like Madison, the, couple maybe two out of the last three or four years you've had those weird summer kills and i know our phones ring off the hook so i'm sure yours do <laughs> with, with folks you know around i think was it by the by the boat ramp and and there was a store or something madison there we had a i think it was a white bass kill or something and oh man we were scrambling and trying to get a hold of you and you were already out there and so i mean those are gonna happen yeah, you know, and and then then on some lakes you've got some man-made structures. Uh, people dig harbors, canals, and stuff sure. like that, and and those those areas tend to go stagnant, and 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 you get dead fish. Does that mean that the lake's in trouble? No, I mean that's a that's a really small part of the overall fish community population, but. Uh, but yeah, you, you see dead fish in those areas because that's where the oxygen's most likely to, to go out under those conditions. Sure. Uh, a couple more questions on winter kill before we 
before you either get up and walk away or or the the whole we beat the horse into the ground, I guess. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about like protocols. I had this friend call me, um, was asking about how we help. Do we help come out and net fish? What do we do as an apartment when we do know like you know okay there's a there's a winter kill at X Y Z Lake? Do we do anything? Do we? Yeah, you know, honestly, I mean, to be to be perfectly honest, I know of only one situation, and that was 50 years ago almost now on Lake Ponset, uh, where we it was bad enough where we we had to use conveyor belts. I think they estimated that we removed an eight million pounds of buffalo and carp <laughs> out of that lake. Um, but no, it's. It's a little bit of a crux in that that the fish are public till they die and end up on your shoreline and <laughs> and, right. uh, and then they become your problem and, and there's a little bit of guilt with that but uh, but no that that is the case um, I think at times we have worked with local lake associations and and groups um, to create disposal sites but but unfortunately it is your responsibility to clean up those fish off the shoreline um and and you can leave them there too i mean i mean on lakes where you know if lake thompson were or whitewood and those fish when they wash into those rural shorelines they basically decay and 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 three weeks four weeks out you never know they were there um right but on on you know lakes that have are lined with uh um cabins um, your neighbor might not be happy if you don't do your part to to clean up the mess. So, so um, yeah, I, we we do not um, come in and and remove those fish, those dead fish. Sure. What what uh, kind of protocol as far as do we want information if folks are you know they go out to their cabin and and you know oh there's a bunch of dead fish. Do we want them calling me and Nick? Do we want them sending emails? What do you What's the best way to handle some of that kind of stuff? You know, um, I I think I think maybe if they can contact their local CEO, uh, and and you know, often we're we're aware of the kill, but it doesn't hurt. Sometimes we aren't. Uh, you know, you, you don't want to get 150 calls for a single right. lake. But but you know, somebody also if there's a, a lake association on that lake, you know, contact your lake association president, have them contact GFP and say, hey, we we've got dead fish out here. But a lot of times, um, you know, these things show up on social media, uh, and, and we're made aware that way. They also right. will uh, the local conservation officer, you know, doing a, doing that person's rounds. Uh, we'll see the dead fish and contact us. So most of the time we're made aware of those dead fish in a timely fashion, especially with winter kill. Sure. So, I mean, I'm feeling good about the, the winter kill stuff. I mean, I think the biggest takeaway is it's going to happen, but it's kind of the fact of the fact of life here in Eastern South Dakota and, when we want to enjoy awesome ice fishing and awesome perch fishing and awesome crappie and walleyes and everything we have over there, that's just the nature of, of, of how this works. I mean, three years ago, we were, what, really high and we were flooding, and now 
three years now where couldn't find water and it looks like we're on another upswing. So, I mean, I mean, I, I think from what you're telling me, that's the biggest takeaway for folks is this is just the nature of the, you know, the, the water bodies that we have here in, in eastern South Dakota. And I mean, they're so fertile, they're so fast growing that these fish two, three years from now, it sounds like we could be, if all, all goes well, we could be in a good spot, right, Dave? Yeah, that's exactly it. It's uh, it's a it's a mixed bag. Occasionally, we lose some really good fish populations, but but often uh, we're able to really we're able to rebuild some good fish populations. And and it's that shallow, fertile, fertile uh, nature that uh, results in winter kill periodically that also makes them dynamic fisheries and and produces good fishing. Absolutely. Uh, one last question, and this is kind of a new one. Getting lots of questions on, you know, aerators and why wouldn't you put aerators out on all these lakes and save them? What's what's your thoughts on aerators? And some you know, um, aerators uh, on, on larger lakes, uh, aerators have pretty much repeatedly been shown to be ineffective in preventing winter kill. Uh, you know, you're when you think about it, you've got the oxygen going out on this really big area, you know, big volume of water, and, and you're putting up a plume um, just in a very small area. And sometimes you'll get fish congregating around them, but but uh, they they're ineffective. And and then running aerators in the winter time is a true liability. Um, you know, you're you're creating open water, you're creating thin ice, uh, and and you got people that that snowmobile, take four wheelers, kids that play out there, and, and you're taking on a a pretty big risk when you do that on a public water. And so, we used to see more lake associations try to aerate their lakes, and and uh, you know, I know the Oakwoods shut down their aerators and a variety of other lakes. Uh, aeration has been discontinued. And and I hear the same thing out of Minnesota. They're biologists and, and, and they're, they're folks there. It's 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 just not worth it. We're going gonna to deal with the kill and, and we can rebuild cheaper and more effectively than we can try to preserve through aeration. Sure. And, and so, Dave, I mean, I'm going to go back to one of your first points is, you know, terrestrial, it's easy for us to see the habitat. It's easy for us to see deer. I mean, we drive all over it. Yeah. We're going to see dead deer on the side of the road ever, all up and down Highway 14, right? When we go to right. this weekend, hole. Yeah. we're not going to think anything of it. But we see a couple of dead fish show up on the shoreline. And it's just, to me, fish is where, where we fish, how we fish. It's just a different world that we don't live in. I don't have gills. Um, God knows I don't know how to keep minnows alive because I've had my <laughs> own garage style winter kill take place in the last about 12 hours. Um, but uh, I mean, that, that when we have these conversations, yeah, you see the aerator out there and it's something you can see and you feel good about it, right? But at the grand scheme of thing, we're doing what? 1% of the, of the real water body out there? 5%? I mean, you know, it's just our perceptions of how we look at water and how we look at land. It's It's just so crazy to me. And even, you know, with top-notch electronics, we think we can see what's down on the bottom. But, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I know I can't, but I'm still not that good at reading electronics. So I tangented there, but that's just kind of my thoughts. It's just so interesting to have, you know, five dead deer and not a, not a big deal. Five dead fish and, oh, my oh God. My gosh. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dave, let's talk about, you know, you brought up. Uh, walleye spawn and stuff and, and normally you know i know you and your crews and stuff are getting out and ready to go 
and really hit that kind of that kind of work. What um, are, you, are you planning on? You think in ten days, two weeks to kind of get that cranked up up in your area and with Irma up in the northeast, or what are you thinking there? Yeah, I think that ten day uh, ten days sounds pretty accurate. Uh, you know, we're 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 gonna that ice is gonna take a real hit. And and then it may firm up a little over the over the weekend as we as we we cool off. But as, as anybody knows who's been out there, it's like what you said, Nick. Getting on it firms up overnight, but by right. the middle of the day, with the sun we have and and any wind, uh, it gets soft quickly. Once once you damage that ice, once you crystallize it, uh, you know. Uh, make it you know where it gets like pencils and stuff like that it's over it's just a matter of days uh before before it it breaks up and and you have ice off so so i would think even in our northern tier of lakes uh unless we get some unusually cold weather colder than they're forecasting I would think we'd be out on the water in 10 days to uh two weeks at the most any any worry about you know missing you know oh god we're we're missing we're missing the spawn because those fish will spawn underneath the ice right I mean in a really weird situation. Yeah, you know I think the northern pike are more notorious for spawning under the right. ice or or the lakes covered in ice they'll run the shorelines that are open or run up into a creek do their spawning thing and then ice off and all you're seeing are spent females. Um, right, but. Very seldom have I seen a, a, a you know where we've missed the spawn. I mean, we might set nets in the day after the ice goes out, and all of a sudden you're starting to see ripe fish because actually that water is heated up under the ice. It might be right. 40, 42 degrees, uh, and and a week after ice off, we might be almost done in our area. You know, it, it might happen. It's going to be protracted. Uh, but, but I, I don't fear that we'll miss the, we'll miss the walleye spawn. I, I, you know, even the couple of walleyes we caught the last couple of days, those eggs, those eggs were not mature. They weren't like ready to, and even the males, they weren't, you know, milting, milking. So, so I think, uh, I think that, you know, you might you might get a leading edge under the ice, but most of that spawning is going to take place when that water temp gets, at least it has to get to 45 to 50. Sure. So, so Dave, I, I like to have these conversations because I find it fascinating and I always feel slightly smarter when I get used words like, you know, fungal period and such. But I mean, what really all these factors that contribute to walleye spawning when we have late, late years like this, the ice is still on. I mean, is it that water temp below the ice? Is it that photo period? Is it that the moon? I've heard moon phases too. I mean, what do you think it is? It sounds like you're kind of on water on water temp, but I mean, is it all the above really? You know, I, I think photo period has to play a big role because, you know, you can talk to Dan Jost or any of those guys, uh, Mark, Ermer, and, 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 you know, year after year after year, that, that walleye spawning period is within two weeks of each other. And, you know, maybe you get an odd year, like, I what was it, uh, 2013, where the ice went off in May. And, and, and it's pushed back. But, but, yeah, I mean, we can have ice off in the middle of March and not have a ripe walleye until the second week of April. And so, 
And so, uh, you know, if you do get really early warm-ups, dramatic warm-ups, you do see some fish ripening up. Um, but I think photo period, uh, that day length plays a big role. I mean, and it makes sense to me. I mean, we, we live by our calendars, uh, all, all of us do, uh, daylight savings fall behind, but I mean, there is no, there is no calendars for fish. It is photo period. It right. is how long that day is. And, and that's all wildlife. That's migratory birds. That's deer. I mean, so, I mean, that's something that I always think the most about just because it's, if we think about people, we live and die by our calendars. Right. I mean, that's, that's what these critters are following too. And, and some of our best egg take years, I think, are late springs. I, I think it's those those drawn out, prolonged springs where the ice goes off in the first or second week in March, and then it warms up, and then it gets cold, and then it warms up right. a little bit. Um, those those years really kind of stink for uh, for egg take, for production of fish. You know, if you can back off on spring right till the cusp and and then boom and and, uh, you know and and those fish all ripen up at the same time and and you know you next thing you know the eggs are there and the eggs are pretty durable and they can last through a few cold fronts but those fry come off and things are we're into may and things are warming up and you get all that plankton production and, and and that's that's when you get your best your classes of perch walleye and pike Sure. Yeah, and that makes sense. And and I'm going to ask you. I asked all the other guys uh, when I had them all together. Are you still look forward to spawn or not? I'm looking at. And remember, I can see you. The audience can't, but Nick and I can see you. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, I never. I was never a big. Oh my gosh, this is this is the pinnacle of my year type. I I got staff who who and and I've known guys uh, through the years. You know, all the years that that this is the high point of their of their fish work year and and they love the camaraderie they love right. the the simple goals the the we're going to check nets again today um you know i enjoy it uh, and i enjoy seeing those those female walleyes and you know ripe fish and stuff like that but but I probably would just as soon be out on the stinky james river you know uh, <laughs> electro fishing for flatheads or seeing right. seeing buffalo or, or channel cats or or you know or or any of that stuff uh right. um it's it's fun but but i've never been one of those i love to spawn walleyes guys yeah and i i like doing it i've done i haven't done it in a while because the last time i did it all the nets got blown in two days in a row and i just Bob Hand looked at me and said, you got to go home. We can't get any work done with you here. So I took the blame and I haven't gone back. My wife wants to go. She said yesterday we were fishing. She goes, I want to go spawn walleyes. I said, I'm sure we could line that up, but I'm not going. Those guys think it's the pinnacle of their career. We need something like Gavin's Point Hatchery. So they yeah. can go put coated wire tags and paddlefish or something for five yeah. days straight. I mean, now that right there, <laughs> that's like self-checkout at walmart that's that for like 40 hours right. <laughs> yeah and there, there's an age thing going on there too you know it's just not as quite as fun when you're getting hit in the face by 40 degree water and snow and stuff like that you know that was exhilarating when you were young and now yeah, it's right. <laughs> 30 years in a row gets a little old yeah right? i'm like 
God, I wish I was back in the office. <laughs> I think that the, uh, it was kind of split with all those crew, and it was definitely an age thing. You know, Ermer and Sorensen were both like, yeah, I could take it or leave it. And Dylan and some of those other guys were like, yeah, man, we love that stuff. <laughs> but I think you're right. It's an age thing. So let, let's talk about your area, you know, that – you're talking about these shallow and, and kind of fertile and accessible lakes. In, in your opinion, you know, the best best time, best, like, is it right at now ice out, like mid, mid-April mid to, you know, mid-May where that shore fishing opportunity is just fantastic? Or is it a little later? Or, like, what do you see, you know, and, and you know, you even have, like you said, the James River and some of those other different opportunities too so just talk about that spring fishing that's coming and should be here if you're if you're fishing from shore fishing out of waders um you know those those male walleyes when they're up on the spawning beds hanging around and, and and they're getting hungry that is by far the best time to catch them i would say around here um you know from the time they show up on the beds which would probably be in a week or so here uh right up until early to mid-may that's going to be your best opportunity from shore um mm -hmm. you know and then after that you know then the white bass tend to go shoreward and and, right. and you can have some fabulous fishing there uh, you know, our shore guys, once you get into midsummer, unless you find a little a little pocket, whether it's flowing water or or just some little spot where where the fish are moving in, a weed edge where they're moving in to feed and at some time, you know, shore fishing can get tough, except maybe right. for smallmouth bass or 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 catfish or bullheads or something like that. And you know, even talking about the, the, those other species, those other opportunities, I remember at when I was in college at SDSU, uh, that old and great at Lake Thompson, we had so much fun catching crappies literally this time of year. I mean, that's right. bothering for crappies. I mean, we talk about walleyes, and I mean, I think the crowd knows what I like to do, but I mean, those other opportunities are, are out there. Um, catching giant pike from shore is always a blast. I mean, there's those opportunities exist on all these different different fisheries, and I think you know, I know I don't do a good enough job taking advantage of them, and I, I think there's a lot of people out there that, that just, I don't know if they don't know about them, or it's just not a walleye, which if it's not a walleye, I mean, that's a fine answer by me, too. I get that, but I mean, I know a whole on day, if I, you guys, you guys are a little more well-rounded when it comes to targeting species than me. <laughs> yeah, and that crappie fishery still exists. You're right, you know, that old ham grade, uh, uh, last year again uh, was good for crappies. You know, right after the ice goes off, uh, uh, those fish show up down there. Uh, and, and maybe if it gets a little more water, you know, you won't have to cast across mud to catch them. But uh, but uh, yeah, that that that's a good opportunity. Um, and then anytime you can find flowing water into a, into a lake, those fish. You know the bait fish congregate at those inlets, and and the problem is 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 getting a spot to fish. And unless you're that person that that is willing to get there at three o'clock in the afternoon and wait for that bite, uh, uh, which often is sundown, um, uh, you know those places can get pretty crowded. 
Well, you know, Dave, as a very well academic college student, uh, I found four o'clock actually is doable. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. you can still get a pretty good spot at four. Yeah. <laughs> at least back in the day. <laughs> That's true. Maybe it's three now, but I, was, I, I get there four, four, fifteen, it'd be okay. But, you know, there are there are fairly popular spots here in Pier from shore that, you know, especially on, you know, like a nice day. I was surprised I went out to fish shore yesterday. And I went out about three, and I thought there'd be some people around. There wasn't, but once it starts warming up, and there's a lot of shoreline in pier, but those popular spots they get they get pretty full, and you got to be there by three, four o'clock. Otherwise, you're you know you're going to be fishing somewhere that maybe you don't normally fish. So that's not just a, a eastern South Dakota thing. And, and I curse them, but you know it's it's what it is, and it's glad, glad to see people out. For me, catching a fish from shore, there's something about it. It's more rewarding. I don't know if it means more. They eat the same, but um, you know, like yesterday, I caught like a ten-pound channel catfish, and and I was like, that thing's awesome, you know. And my wife is running the other way, but um, this is the only fish I caught. But I was like, heck yeah, I'm I'm done. That was a good couple hours. I'm going home. So something yeah. about it from shore. And you outfish me in my boat all weekend. <laughs> well, one one thing that's guaranteed if you're going to shore fish in eastern South Dakota for walleyes this time of year is that you're going to go to work tired the next day because the it doesn't get dark, you know, here right. till till 9:30 and if you got a 45 minute drive home and got to clean some fish, it's yep. typically 11 to midnight and if you're getting right. up at 5 6 in the morning, it's a it's a short <laughs> night. Well, Dave, that's why I didn't I didn't keep fish. I would just catch and release. I would put them back, and then I'd even be there the next morning because I would build my schedule so I didn't have to be go to class till nine or ten some days. I mean, I, don't ask me what my GPA was, but I can tell you a lot of this type of stuff. <laughs> hey, Dave, let's talk about. Um, we talked about it earlier too, just a little bit. You know, we've got in the western part of South Dakota, a lot of these sloughs and stuff are dried up. Bait dealers are having a hard time finding minnows. Eastern part of the state, we've got what I'm hearing is some of the bait dealers got some winter kill access issues. The bait they are finding are is smaller minnows, what I used to call crappie minnows when I was a kid. What are you hearing and, and how do we work around that or how do we, you know, how can we help? What's our role in that? You know, I, I think we we have heard from the bait dealers. Um, I want to say Adam Porter put out a note, uh, you know, stating that, that that a lot of the sloughs that they were finding dead minnows. Um, uh, one thing good about fatheads is they repopulate really quickly and they bring off a lot of young and and they grow quickly so so there might be a temporary shortage i've heard of them talking about bringing in bait from possibly from other states which means uh only in south dakota can you get a giant scoop of minnows for uh you know a few bucks and uh, uh that's unheard of you know if you go to wisconsin or michigan they count those minnows as yep. they drop them into yep. your bucket. And, uh, and uh, you know, if you're lucky, you get a baker's dozen. So, right, uh, right. So, yeah, that's, uh, you know, and so things might tighten up here. But but once again, you know, you, you, these sloughs, they, when they kill off, they become ultra productive. And all you got left is plankton, zooplankton, aquatic insects, and a lot of things to eat. and 
and the the minnows that repopulate do really well so i would anticipate that the shortage would be short-lived especially if we bring our water levels up where where we can make it through the summer just fine right and and if they are bringing in minnows and i think they are because nick and i both have a garage with uh their orange so they're rosies and i thought i assumed that they came from northeast south dakota but they're telling me that they probably came came in from arkansas yep. is what we're hearing um so if they were going to bring in and i think are they fatheads or are they just orange fat i believe they're dyed fatheads is that correct Dave? is that my understanding you know, I, I think they're fatheads, but I'm not sure if, if it's a dye or if it's a if it's a genetic, natural, yeah. uh, you know, a, a natural genetic uh, variation. I, I think Highway 10 bait had some natural variation ones where they were finding them and putting them in a pond or putting them in a slough and then just like trying to get them to breed and okay. breed and breed and get them to orange. But I, I know even, you know, and you know how uh, social media and stuff works, it's Oh, they're going to bring in these different kinds of minnows from from you know different states, and GFP's already approved them. And I'm like, wait, I haven't heard anything about it. But you know, we work with bait dealers, and we have a system set up right that if anybody was going to bring in anything weird, quote unquote weird, you know, they've got to run that process, right? Well, there have to be importation licenses right. in place. Um, they have to have those. There, there's a very limited number of, of fish species that can be used as bait anymore, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that can be sold as bait. Uh, uh, and so, you know, you've got a, a few shiner species, fatheads, uh, chubs or young white suckers. Uh, and uh, oh, what's the other one? Creek chubs. Creek um, chubs. You know, and, and and that's that's about it. But they, you know, these hatcheries, they don't want to bring in disease and stuff right. like that. So these fish are these fish are tested, and 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 this is a fairly tightly regulated uh, situation. Um, you know, we've all seen sticklebacks in our bait bucket, and mm-hmm. and I I did do a, an experiment this winter, and they did outlive the fatheads that were in the bucket. <laughs> they were the last survivors. So. Um, uh, and, and what my buddy put one on my line the other night, and I'm like, why is the bobber? It's not. It's the only bobber not going on. Right. It's going down. And uh, um, but anyways, uh, um, so you do see a few odd things in your bait bucket. It's not. It's not perfect, but normally those things that are things that naturally occur in our waters. And uh, and for the most part, when you scoop out a scoop of fatheads, that's what you get. Right. Just fatheads. And and it is funny talking about, you know, you go to other places and they count them. Uh, you know, I remember being in Canada and, and you know, a dozen is a dozen. And it was eight bucks Canadian for a dozen and they're counting them out. You're like, really? And I think they were dace, you know, like they, they call them rainbow chubs or whatever, but they're more dace than they were fatheads. But yeah, they're counting them out. And I know even up in my brothers in northern Minnesota and along the, you know, up in like that Arrowhead region of Minnesota, they're they're counting them out, man. And you're... You're paying for them. I, I Canada too, and they literally count them in my pocket. And I go, oh, have I been stealing from like a lot of the <laughs> yeah, gas stations? Right. So, I, I think I owe a lot of people money. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right about them being dace. They are dace species up there, and uh, yeah, you swear if you cast one off, that's uh, oh. <laughs> We had, uh, we had a river otter get into our 
our net one time and it was sitting on the dock just eating them like a buck a piece. No, oh, you know, I'm trying to chase him off. So that's interesting about the bait thing. I think that's top of the, you know, top of mind, even maybe even more so right now than the winter kill is. Yep. You know, I went out, tried to go out two weeks ago, and, and I literally had to stop at five different places up here, and I'm getting one or two minnows at every place because there was none. You know, nobody had any. Um, I think it's it's a little better now, but, you know, that's going to come and go once the fish start really taking out here. And, and I know guys in Chamberlain were having a hard time finding them this weekend, too. So. Um, it's interesting to see how that ebbs and flows, though. So that's interesting. I am, I am nervous if those orange-red, Red roses or whatever, start catching fish really good. Now I'm gonna have to go yeah, find them, right? Be thinking I'm gonna sharpie to my minnows or something like that. <laughs> yeah, they've they've been around for quite a while, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, and I don't think I think everybody thought they were gonna be the rage, and 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 they did they didn't turn out that way. I, I think the young guys have got it figured out though. They just use plastic, and right? They they've got that confidence in that plastic and. And, and, you know, us old bait guys are like, oh, my gosh, how do I dare fish without a minnow on my hook? Right. Uh, and, and, and yet they're catching as many fish or more fish uh, than we are. So, so uh, there is a solution. You right. know, Dave, I, I really was, you know, I didn't think Cole was going to mention that you were doing great at Whitewood. But now I'm just really <laughs> glad that he did. And I, I think if you could put your coordinates here for, by the right. end of the show, I think that would be great because I don't ever use plastics. Those, they suck. They don't catch fish. They're not more durable or catch more fish or a variety of colors. No, none of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you go out there much after today, you probably are going to have a death wish because right. uh, it's you know, uh, you're taking your life into your hands. The good news is I think the lake maxes out at about four or five feet deep. So, so your, your head will be above the ice. If you're <laughs> up, um, wow. We're not exactly the tallest crew. Right. Yeah, we're we're just, just standing <laughs> on each other's shoulders. Take care. What's um, Dave, let's, we can wrap this up here, but I want to talk about, you know, I get a lot of questions, and I know you do too, about you know with the habitat stamp and and the funds that that anglers and, and water bodies get for habitat and access. What do you got going on in your area for some of these, not even necessarily giant projects, but projects maybe in your brain that go, wow, that that's going to make a difference. You know, I think the big one, and it it might be postponed until uh, twenty twenty four now. Um, due to some some permitting requirements, but but redoing the spillway at Lake Alvin, they're going to add drawdown capabilities so we can create that up and down water level that is good for fish. Right on. Um, you know that that's a big one, uh, and and we've got other projects. Lake Mitchell right now, they're they're working on a project there that that. Uh, that is going to incorporate some of those same things, possibly some me mechanical dredging and stuff like that, that uh, may deepen some areas. And then uh, access, new access projects, golly, there, there's been a bunch of them. Uh, Sinai, there's additional parking up at the north end. Uh, uh, that new boat ramp at Whitewood, I think Whitewood's gonna be a hot one. Um, the old one was just horrid and, uh, and uh, that will that will greatly benefit expanded parking area, um, much better ramp, uh, a, a much better facility, 
And, and there's a number of those around the region. There's there's projects. Uh, Osceola Lake, that's going to come online this year. That's up up by the town of Osceola and, and the local community. Um, uh, Dale and Fast and crew, they, they worked on that one with us. We provided some funding and they they're they're quite the engineers and they they've dug that thing out and we're going to stock it this year and and they've done some really nice things around that lake and so and so the these funds are used uh, um, for just a, a whole myriad of of various access projects and, and and now some some true habitat big scale habitat projects great and and you know i'm talking to a couple of couple of my friends up insisting this weekend we were talking about some of this habitat stuff and i showed them the map and you know oh, we put something in here put something in here and and one of them goes oh god you know these little projects and one of my buddies who's who's a farmer but he's also you know got a little bit of a contracting background too because you know these little projects cost a lot of money <laughs> you know whether it's even a, just a new parking lot you know do you know how much dirt we got to move and and how much gravel's got to go into these things to make them so people can use them whether it's because it's not like our, our our guys and gals are going out there when it's 80 degrees and no wind. You know, they're getting used when it's crappy and they're getting used when it's raining and when it just rained and when the snow's coming off. So they got to hold up. And there's really no such thing as a little project because they're all expensive. Yeah, that that is for sure. Dave, thank you for your time. You got to get moving and we appreciate it. Uh, we'll be talking to you down the line. And if you need anything from us, you know where we're at. Good stuff from my guy, Dave Lucchese. Probably the best tennis player that the department has. Fun fact there. Um, yeah, looks like we've got good weather coming up for the extended forecast. So get out and enjoy what we're, you know, what spring is, has to offer. You know, whether it's turkey hunting, whether it's fishing, whether it's hiking, whether it's, you know, if, you got, if you're lucky, one of the lucky few to have a Francis Case paddlefish tag, um, get out bird watch, you know, the migrations in full swing. So get out and, and, and watch, watch birds, whatever your thing is, get outside because spring is, is probably the best time in the state. And, and, uh, that's all we live here. And we've had a long winter. I mean, we've had a long winter. We all know that. And that's all I got to say. Uh, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. And we will see you next time. Just best by that seem by Yeah.